0: series Um, and God's kind of showing me things even this week as I continue to study it out kind of getting more revelation on what um, he's wanting to show us through this word and last week we identified what lordship is Um, last week's message if you were not here you need to get a hold of it we identified and laid out some things on what lordship is we have reduced Christianity has reduced Lordship, making Jesus the Lord of your life, the Savior of your life, we've reduced that to a prayer. And I don't believe that we fully understand and grasp what we are saying when we pray that prayer. Most of us in this room, maybe at a young age, in our teenage years, maybe as we got older, at some point, if you are saved and born again, you prayed a prayer. You said, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life, I believe that you came to this earth, died on the cross, rose again, and now we have eternal life. And that's that. And we've said this prayer. Our lives haven't really changed. Maybe we felt something initially that was different, saw something initially that became different. But over time, we don't fully understand uh, why we're here, what we're doing. There's a, lot of que- there's a lot of Christians that have questions about their purpose. Why are we here? What are we doing Uh, Why did God place us here? Uh, Why do I know this? Why is this information coming to Why am I going to church? There's a lot of questions. And um, I believe that Jesus came to bring a new standard of living. Um, In fact, I'm thinking of of naming this series a new standard of living. Um, Jesus did not come here just to get us to heaven, period. There's more to that. Um, There's way too much in the word of what Jesus talks about, of what Paul talks about, the apostles and the disciples, that is beyond heaven. Um, Jesus only mentioned heaven one or, one or two times. But he talked about something else. He talked about something different throughout his entire ministry, and that was a kingdom. That was a government system. He talked about government. Uh, it may be odd for us to hear that Jesus was not a religious man. He was a political man. He was here bringing a government, and with that came a new standard of living. Understand that a standard is a system or a way of living. That is what a standard is. When you live by a certain standard, then you live by a certain way of doing things. And in the earth, government sets that standard a lot of times. You live according to the standard that your government has in place. Um, The first thing I have to get you to do is eradicate and erase you're thinking of government based upon an American society or the American government. Because God's government system wasn't a a democratic system or a republic system. It was a kingdom system. And in this day and age, we just don't see that a whole lot. There's not a lot of kingdoms left on the planet. And so we're having to identify what a kingdom looks like, um, how a king rules and operates, and what citizens look like in a kingdom. Um, Because in a kingdom, there's one call, one person calling the shots. There's no opinions. There's no citizens getting together and voting on a thing. It's what the king says, and you live that way. And in the earth today, you know, this is difficult for us to understand because we've seen uh, governments deteriorate. In fact, governments are deteriorating today before our own eyes. Uh, We're seeing governments have struggles, and we're seeing governments being run by people uh, who are corrupted, bringing corruption into government. And as the government system goes, so do the people. As the leadership goes, so do the people. And so uh, we have to understand a few things about a king. And our king has our best interest at heart. Every decision he makes, every law he puts into place, everything that he makes uh, as a standard is for our best interest. But God is requiring something out of us. This is a two-way street, and that's what we're going to take a look at today. Last week we saw what lordship is. We saw that a lord, the word lord, and this isn't a term that we use in our terminology today. um, The only way, the only system that we really have in place as far as a lord goes is a landlord. And how does a landlord operate? He owns a piece of property, and someone else controls what is done with that property. But he owns the property, he owns everything on the property, and we, uh, whoever's renting it, take care of it. This is really the only system that we know. But a Lord owns everything that is in his control. We know that God owns the earth. We looked at some verses in Psalms that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that he created is a possession of God, belongs to him, is ownership of him. That makes the earth. The animals, the plants, the waters, the skies, and that includes us. We are his ownership. So when you declare Jesus as your Lord, you are saying that you own me and you do with me what you want done. That is lordship. Lordship is not just saying a prayer when we were five and then living however we want. Lordship is not saying a prayer and Looking forward to a greater expectation of getting to heaven one day, but on the earth living how we like. That is not lordship. And we saw that Jesus himself said that there will be those that will come to me. And they will say, Lord, Lord. And I will look at them and say, I don't even know you. Depart from me. Now this isn't a fear factor. I'm not trying to twist things and get you afraid. Did I really make Jesus Lord of life? What do I need to do? Oh great, now I'm going to hell. I'm not going to go to heaven. That's not what this is about. This is about changing our lives and our purpose here in this earth. This is about identifying why am I here, who am I serving, and what am I to do with my life. And so when you make Jesus your Lord, you're identifying that I am no longer my own. Remember Paul used these own words. He said, I'm not my own. I've been bought for a price. I've been bought with a price. And the one who created me, the one who I make Lord of my life, now lives in me and through me. He calls the shots. So I talk to the people that he tells me to talk to. And I go the places that he tells me to go. I do the things that he tells me to do. Jesus Jesus had this in his own life. Jesus said many times that I don't do my own will. I'm not here on my own intentions. I'm here for another purpose. I'm here for another person. And as my Father says to speak, I speak. As my Father says to do, I do. Where my Father says to go, I go. Even Jesus, being God himself, but in the flesh, a man, didn't do anything on his own will. Didn't do anything on his own. He's always pointing back to the Father. Always pointing back to God, who is the King. And as God had him do in the earth, he did okay and jesus came to this earth and influenced the earth with the kingdom of god our full priority and purpose in life must be to bring heaven to earth and that only happens when you get your mind off of getting to heaven because if you're only thinking of getting to heaven then you'll never get heaven to the earth and god created this earth with the intention for man to rule it and dominate it so that heaven could look so that earth could look like heaven The the things that that happen in heaven need to be happening here. The way that God's system works in heaven needs to be working here. Okay? This is very clear. And so that's what we looked at last week. That is the beginning of living a new standard of, of life. You won't have a new standard of life if Jesus isn't Lord, if Jesus isn't calling the shots. And too many times we're uh, doing things in our own life and working things out in our own life to try to make ourselves better and have a better, you know, we want, we want good homes for our children. We want to have a good place to work and create a good environment. Uh, we want to be pleasant to people who are around us. But the best way to have the greatest standard of life in our lives is by making Jesus the Lord of our lives. When he calls the shots, you will do everything that you are supposed to do, and you will be the happiest, okay? Okay? So that's what we looked at. But I want to take an, uh, another look. remember our key verse last week was Romans chapter 10, verse nine. This is a verse that you know we've probably all heard uh, growing up. It's probably the verse that you know someone told us before we prayed that prayer of salvation. Um, it's a very popular verse, but in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So this is where we started last week. And we saw the word Lord. We identify what a Lord is and how Jesus becomes Lord of our life. That was the first key. Today I want to look at a different word here. I want to look at the word confess. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So what are we confessing? We're confessing that Jesus is Lord. And then he goes on to say, and believe in your heart. But I want to look at the word confess today. Um, This may be the first time you hear this. So I ask you to remain teachable and to remain open to the word. But this word confess means more than just to say something with your mouth. This word goes deeper than just saying something. And the enemy has tricked us into thinking that if we simply say something, then we're good. We're all right. Well, I said the prayer. And we see that there's believing, and we'll see why the believing is so important. But I want to focus on this word confess. The definition of this word in the Greek in the Greek the actual translation of this word confess means covenant it means covenant now this is not a word that we know too often or you know today but a covenant is simply an agreement between two parties okay this is a covenant basically you could say this it's a binding contract how many in here have ever signed a contract for anything, for a piece of property, for a vehicle. There's two parts to that. Yeah, there's some contracts we probably wish we didn't get into. But I'm going to tell you about a contract today that you're going to wish, uh, be very thankful that you got into. And if you haven't got into it, we can get into it today. But this word actually means a covenant or a contract. It also means to say the same thing as another. So we're saying and believing the same thing as another. This word confess carries with it the connotation of entering into a legal agreement with another party. Now, here are some characteristics of a contract. This is is true for any contract. One is it requires two parties. You can't have a contract without another party that you're binding a contract with or becoming into legal agreement with. So the first thing is it requires two parties. The second thing is that each side possesses responsibilities and obligations. Uh, So we know this, that if you hold up your end of the bargain, the other person is obligated to hold up their end of the bargain. Okay? Very clearly. That's what this word confess means. This word confess means to enter into a covenant, enter into a binding pact. This is a public declaration. Jesus said himself that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. What's he saying? If you hold up your end, I'll hold up my end. Okay? Now, here's the problem with this confessing part. is because in America... Um, and in our society today, our words just don't mean a whole lot anymore. I remember my grandfather telling me stories of you know, going into a contract or agreement with someone just based upon your word, and your word was all that was needed. Your word was good for it. Some of you may remember a time like that. Not anymore. you got to sign a million documents, initial here, and, and put a star here, and highlight here, and, and sign this page, and then you have to sign the page saying that you actually agree to everything that's within the... I mean, it's just... It's ridiculous what you have to do now to do anything. So, our words don't mean a whole lot. But the thing that we have to understand is that God has given us His Word, and His Word is the ultimate truth. His Word is uh, faithful, and His Word will accomplish that which He has set it out to do. Jesus was God's Word. Jesus is God's Word. Here's one thing you have to understand about Jesus. Jesus was a man for 33 years. He was on this earth for 33 years. But before that, what was he? The Word. John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we can't just look at Jesus as the little blurb on the map for 33 years. It goes beyond that. And Jesus, did he accomplish what God sent him here to do? Yes. Amen. He sure did. He came here. He brought the kingdom, restored the kingdom back to mankind, died on the cross so that we could live in that kingdom, and then rose again so we could have eternal life and showed that power. He healed people. He demonstrated love. He demonstrated peace. He demonstrated uh, acceptance of people that maybe were living outside of the kingdom and showed them how to be changed once they got in the kingdom. That's what Jesus did. This is who Jesus was. And he accomplished that. So we know this, that God's word is faithful, that if he sets it out to do a thing, it will do that. So we have his word on the matter. And that's all we need. We have it in writing. We have it in writing. And everything that he's promised us in this word, he will fulfill. It will come to pass. Because God is not a liar. He says that let every other man be a liar. But God is not. And what he sets his word out to do, what he's put in here, it will come to pass. It will be accomplished. So we know that his word is truth. What he's looking for is a, is a people, is a nation, is a man that will simply believe him at his word. Simply take his word for what it is and live by it. Put it into practice and live according to it. That's what he's looking for. We can go all the way back to the beginning. In fact, we have to go all the way back to Genesis to look at the first instance of covenant. The first time covenant was brought into play. And it was a man named Noah. We know about Noah. He built a great big ark. But something we may not understand is that God entered into covenant covenant with him. He entered into a legal binding agreement with Noah based on what he did. Let's look at it, Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We're talking about a a new standard of living. Jesus came to bring a new standard of living. And that standard of living, I'm telling you right now, you do not have to wait to get to heaven to reach this standard of living. We can Live out this new standard of living here on this earth, here on this planet. In fact, you are required to. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 18. Up until this point, uh, here's where we're at. Jesus, or God, God has looked at the earth. The earth has become wicked. The earth has become immoral. Man is now seeking their own interest and no longer seeking the interest of the Father. So Jesus, or God, I keep saying Jesus, God, God is looking down on man and he's not happy with what he's seeing. Because remember, God put us here for a purpose. God put man here to bring heaven to earth, to influence earth with heaven's rulership and heaven's authority. The way things happen in heaven, the way things are the way things should be happening in the earth. But that only happens when you're seeking after God's priorities. If you're not seeking after what God wants, then you find yourself doing your own thing, which is what Satan did, right? Satan got kicked out because he wanted to do his own thing. So now he's trying to ingrain that in every man on the planet. I can get them to get off of God's course by trying to get them to do their own thing. See, when you're doing your own thing and you think you're being rebellious and independent, you're really only becoming dependent on the enemy. When you become out of submission to God and you think you're doing your own thing, you're really submitting to what the devil wants you to do. Because that's his trick. That's his key. I don't have to even get them to, I don't have to say, obey me. I'm now your Lord. He just says, just do whatever you want. Do what feels good. Do what, do what you think is right. Just what he did with Adam and Eve. In the garden. You don't have to eat of, you don't have to not eat of this fruit. You can eat of it. You won't surely die. What's he trying to do? Do your own thing. He's trying to get man to self-rule. He's trying to move man to you control your destiny. You do what you want to do. Because that's what he did and that's what got him kicked out of heaven. Okay. So man is no longer pursuing God's interests. We've been looking at this. Man is no longer concerned about what God wants. No, man is no longer concerned about bringing heaven into the earth. The earth now has been taken over by a different God, a different authority, and man is starting to give himself to that. And there's wickedness, there's immorality, all these things are taking place. But God finds one man. God finds one man in all the earth that is righteous, that walks in a way that is uplifting to God, and someone that is still looking to accomplish God's will in the earth, one person out of the entire earth, and that man was Noah. Man was righteous. Man was living, or uh, man was living according according to Satan's standards, the wrong standard of living. But Noah kept his face towards God, and so Noah is given a task, given an assignment. But this task and assignment didn't come without a covenant. See, a covenant or a contract, and agreement, is always to, uh, to fulfill an assignment or to accomplish a task. And we're going to look at this today. Why does God want to make covenant with man? Why didn't he just say, forget it all, let's just get them all to heaven, forget this whole earth idea? Why is earth still in play? Why is man still here? Because there's a will and a purpose that he wants to accomplish here. But he needs man to come into covenant, come into agreement with his purpose and with his will. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 6 verse 18. This is God talking with Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, animals after their kind, every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten. You shall gather it to yourself. It shall be food for you and for them. Look what verse 22 says. Thus Noah did. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. Man's requirement in the covenant, man's requirement in the contract, the legal binding agreement, was to simply obey God at his word. There was a task assigned to Noah, build the ark. We know that at this time there was no rain. So for Noah to start declaring that rain is coming, is ridiculous, and to spend a year building this massive ark, which was over a football field long, that's insane, okay, you you just wonder how much persecution, how many obstacles did he come against, how many people were coming by saying, what in the world are you doing, I mean, the word says that people were coming by saying, what is rain, there's no such thing as rain, and when you're hearing from God, you got to know you're hearing from God. Because everybody else wants to tell you you're not. Okay, this is with anything in life. But there was, an, a, ta- there was a task given because there was a goal that God wanted to do. This right here proves that God is not into just waiting on people to get to heaven and start a new lifestyle there. Because he had the opportunity. He's wiping, he's wiping man off the face of the planet here. We understand what's taking place. But what's he looking I just need one righteous man because I'll start all over. This isn't the only time he did it. He did it with Moses. Moses brings all the men, all the Israelites out, his people, God's people. And how many times did he say to Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to clear the whole bunch. They're just grumbling, they're just complaining. And what did he say? Get them all out of the way and I will start over with you. God always had a plan to get his kingdom back in the earth. God always had a plan to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. He always did. He never wanted to eradicate the earth. He never wanted to just blow it all up and say, forget that plan. Let's just all just live happily ever after in heaven. That was not it. He did it with Noah. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. And then he did it with Jesus. And Jesus ultimately brought back that kingdom so we could all live back in that kingdom again. Amen? So Noah here is the one righteous man that God knows I can establish an agreement with this man because he believes me at my word. He will be obedient to my word. This is the other party that I can establish an agreement with, a legal binding contract So I can get my will accomplished. It's always to get his will in the earth. It's always to get his purpose done. Okay? So this is the first time we see covenant. Here's another instance that we see. uh, Well, actually, let's continue on with Noah. Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Actually, you know what? I'm going to come back there later. I need to go to, we need to move on to Abraham. I'll come back to Genesis chapter 8. So let's move on to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is another man that God establishes covenant with. Again, God establishes covenant. God enters a legal binding contract with man to accomplish his will and his purpose in the earth. God did something very interesting in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And this will go against everything we've probably ever heard in church, everything we've ever heard about God. But in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, God said that he was going to create man in his image, in his likeness, with his characteristics. And he turned over rule and dominion and authority to man. This is very key. Because what did God just do? He just said, everything that happens in the earth now must be done through man. Think about it. Every time God wanted something done in the earth, He used a man. When He parted the Red Sea, He used a man. When He redeemed mankind, He had to send His own Son as a man. When He delivered man out of Israel back into Canaan land back to his promised land he used a man God is always looking to use man. God is looking to use man today we are the ones that carry the gospel we are his hands and we are his feet. We are the ones showing this world we are the light of the world we are the salt of the earth right? God is using mankind so this is why he's establishing covenant with man. Because for God to get heaven into the earth, he has to use man. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Which means that if man is not releasing the kingdom that is within them, then the kingdom's not getting here. God is not coming down here and telling people about his kingdom. God isn't coming up here and preaching to you this morning. He's using a man. We are the extension. We are the ones that bring his will and purpose into the earth. Amen. So here we see another man, Abraham. We see Abraham. And Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice here the power of God's covenant. Not only extends to the man he's talking to, but he extends it to the families of the earth. An, ever, an everlasting covenant. That continues on. You understand that we still live under this covenant that he gave to one man thousands of years ago. In fact, God is telling Abraham here, beginning to tell him that he is going to bring his people to Canaan, the promised land. Then he tells him that they are going to become, uh, they're going to fall under submission and authority to the people of that land. It's going to be taken away from them. And they're going to find themselves in slavery for 430 years. He's telling them this, to Abraham. Now, if you look, we don't look at the genealogies a whole lot. You know, that's the part of the Bible we skip. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. But it's interesting to find out how far ahead Abraham is to Moses. Because Moses is the man that brought them out of Egypt. Joseph is the one that got them into Egypt. We know the story of Joseph. Joseph had brothers. They tried to get rid of him because his father favorited him. This is a little history lesson. Just follow along with me here real quick. So Joseph gets sold into slavery. He ends up at Potiphar's house. Ends up in jail. And from jail he ends up where? Next to the Pharaoh in Egypt. Now there was a famine that came. Remember? And the... the dream that Joseph gave to Pharaoh was interpretation that said there will be seven good years and seven years of famine. And all the other regions had to go to Egypt for food during this time of famine. So people in Canaan, people in outlying areas had to travel to Egypt to get that food. This is key. Because now all the other areas, including God's land, Canaan, is having to go to Egypt. Well, eventually they ran out of things to sell. Uh, The Bible says that they sold their possessions to get food. They sold homes. They sold land. Then they eventually ran out of all that, and they ended up giving themselves. Why? For food. Because there was seven years of famine. So now they're in slavery. And then Exodus chapter 1 tells us, that Pharaoh got worried that these people were going to become, because because God's people were still strong and still mighty, even outside of Canaan. And Exodus chapter 1 says that Pharaoh feared that they would rise up and eventually take them over. They would side with their enemies and take over Egypt. So what did Pharaoh do? He put them into hard labor, making brick and mortar, building Pharaoh's cities, and, that wasn't good enough for Pharaoh, so what did he do? Started killing everyone, two and, two and younger. And then enters Moses. Okay? That whole picture that I just played out, that whole history story, God gives to Abraham thousands of years before. Before Moses is even alive. Before Moses' parents are even alive. What is God doing? He's establishing a covenant with one man that would extend... Through the ages. And we still live under this. If we're God's people, those who we bless will be blessed. Those who who curse us will be cursed. This is still applicable to God's people today. That's how strong this covenant is. And he lays out the whole picture. If you go to Genesis chapter uh, 17. Genesis chapter 17 now. Starting with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you. What is he requiring out of Abraham? To walk worthy of him and be blameless. He's looking for obedience. He says, just be obedient to my word and I will make my covenant with you. I will make my covenant with you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Now, the thing that we have to understand about Abraham is he is unable to have children. His wife is barren, and he is 99 years old, and she's 90. How in the world are you having kids at that age? And Abraham realizes this ain't happening. This ain't taking place. Now, just to let you know, in Genesis chapter 12, what we just read, when God told him his covenant and said that I will bless those that bless you, curse those, he was 75 years old. 25 years have taken place. And his covenant still hasn't fully come. In fact, Abraham still has not had children. And he's, it's only getting worse. You know, sometimes things with God, it looks like the situation gets worse before it gets better. But what's he looking for? He's looking for a man. He's looking for people that will believe him at his word no matter what. And God's timing is not our timing. But what you have to know. This is any situation with your marriage or with your finances or uh, with your job. And we're we're thinking, you know, our health, my health is deteriorating. It's getting worse. How in the world am I supposed to, what's he looking for? Keep believing me at my word. He's never late. He's on time, right? God's time is on time. And we're thinking, God, you got there, right? He's thinking, that's when I was going to do it. And the natural situations and the natural circumstances start talking to you. The natural uh, evidences in the world start screaming at you. Come on, they start talking louder than I'm talking right now. They start talking louder than the Word talks sometimes. They start talking louder than the Spirit of God who's within you. But does that make His Word of any less effect? No. What do you do? You remain steadfast in His Word. You remain firmly Persuaded. That's what faith is. Faith is a firm persuasion. A firm persuasion. it means, there's no way I'm coming off of this thing. I'm not going to the left. I'm not going to the right. I'm not moved by the doctors. I'm not moved by the weather. I'm not moved by the economic situation. I'm not moved by my bank account. Nothing in the world can move me off of God's word. It will accomplish that which it goes forth and does. Okay. So Abraham is here. Twenty-five years have gone by since uh, God first shows up and makes this covenant. And now he's back, 99 years old, unable to have children. And he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he's saying, I don't even have one kid. There's another conversation that he he says, I have no heirs. And Abraham resorted to trying to figure it out on his own. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We try to come in and we try to say, oh, God, you want to do it this way. Or, oh, I know how you want to do this thing, God. I got it figured out. And so what does he do? He, he gets with his wife's servant and has Ishmael, and God says, nope, wrong one. I said I was making you a father of many nations from your loins, from your blood. See, we don't try to figure it out for God. He's got it figured out, and he's got it ready to work. And sometimes we jump the gun and we get ahead. But you know what? He's gracious. He's merciful. And he got back with Abraham and said, no, you will have a child by your wife. And did he? Yes. He established a covenant. He established a covenant. And his covenant was able to come to pass because Abraham held up his end of the bargain. Two parts. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants in their generations. Here it is, for an everlasting covenant. God's covenant is everlasting. God's covenant will reach down to your children and your children's children. There's some things that God's promised you, and he's ready to spread it through your children. He's just looking for obedience in mankind. Verse 8, also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will be their God. Now, what did those Israelites start doing when they got into the wilderness? Grumbling, complaining, and then there was an instance where Moses Ended up on a mountain, getting the Ten Commandments. And what were the people doing down below? Was God their God? No. They actually started making gods. If you notice, one of the first things that caused man to separate himself from God throughout the Old Testament was that they started going to idols. The nation started going after idols. The nation started making gods. The nation. Man is always looking for someone to submit to. And they may not even know it. They're always looking for someone to come under submission to. In fact, with Samuel, the people got with Samuel and said, we want a king. They had a king. God was their king. And God told Samuel, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. They've rejected me. They want someone to submit to. I, I've got their best interest. And so they got what they asked for. They got Saul and they got David. They got Solomon. And they got good kings and they got bad kings. They got kings that sought uh, after God whole, wholeheartedly. And they got kings that didn't and want to do their own thing. Leadership and power and authority is a very uh, tricky thing to govern. In any position, whether you're the leader of your house, leader of a business, leader of a a ministry, leader in your community, that power and authority needs to always go back to God. And as long as the kings remained in submission to God, the nation went after that. And the nation was good. The nation served God. The nation was blessed. The nation was provided for. But then they got some bad kings. They got some kings that stepped in and started to seek their own interest, started to seek their own will, didn't seek after God's kingdom. And when God was no longer their authority, they lost their authority. I mean, it happened with Saul, the first king out the gate. Saul had his kingdom ripped away from him, stripped away from him. And God said that I am taking the kingdom away from you. Why? Because he couldn't remain in submission to God. He couldn't remain in obedience. God is looking for obedience. God is looking for a man, for a people, that will take him at his word and live by it. This is what God is looking for. So God is establishing this covenant with Abraham. He required obedience and righteousness. You know what righteousness is? Righteousness is right standing with the governing authority. But righteousness... Is simply believing God at His Word. That's how you're righteous. A lot of us have keyed, have uh, tied righteousness to being saved. But how could Abraham be righteous? How could Noah be righteous if Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet? They didn't accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And the Bible says that they were considered righteous. Righteousness is is just a person that will believe God at their word, at his word. That's what righteousness is. When you believe God, you're righteous. Now, that believing leads to action. That believing is always to lead to obedience. Faith, which is believing in God, ought to lead us to obedience, to walking in obedience. It leads you to action. You don't just say, I believe in God, to believe in God. And you can't say, I believe in God, and not do what he's asking you to do. You can't say, I believe in God, and not obey what he's asking you to do. Go where he's asking you to go. Talk to who he's asking you can't do it. Believing in God, faith in God, leads to righteousness. Leads to obedience to his word. That's what it should always go to. Uh, we saw it with Noah. We saw it with Abraham. And any man in the Bible that was righteous, considered righteous, was someone that believed in God, believed him at his word, and obeyed him, was upright, was an obedient man to his word. Now, we covered two things. We said that a covenant is a contract, it's a binding agreement, requires two parties, requires responsibilities and obligations on both parties, on both sides. And as long as you hold up your end, God holds up. His end. You know, covenant is all throughout the Bible for people that believe in him and believe him at his word. He says, give, and it will be given unto you. Covenant. He says, think on these things, and your life will be guided by peace. You won't be anxious. You won't be worried. He says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. All of these are two parts. You do your part, and God will do his part. This is covenant. This is the covenant that God has set up with his people. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom. Who's doing the seeking? We are. In his righteousness and all these things will be added. Who's doing the adding? God is. So we seek, he adds. We give and he gives back to us. We think on his word, place his word first priority and we find our lives led by peace and not by worry and not by fear. We submit to God and the devil flees. This is covenant. This is two parts. You do your part, he does his part. Now the the other part that I need to get to with covenant real quick is that every covenant that God covered required a sacrifice of blood. Now, in the Old Testament, they did things differently than we do today. Uh, Let's go back to Noah, Genesis chapter 8. We already saw that God established a covenant with Noah. And the number one thing that God is looking for, the number one thing that God is looking for in man on his side is that we will believe him at his word and be obedient to his word. That's what he's looking for. And and the foundation of every covenant is based upon, man, do what I'm asking you to do, and I will... That's what he's doing with Noah. Build the ark. Noah builds the ark, covenant's established. What does he do? I will provide for your family. I will take care of your family. I will start the world. I will uh, make you fruitful and multiply you. That's what he said after they got off the ark. He said... Now, you, your family, will once again populate the earth. Be fruitful, multiply. You'll have every resource. You'll have everything provided to you. What does that sound like? That sounds like the garden. Was there anything that man was worried about in the garden? Was there anything that man was concerned about in the garden? Not until they sinned. The The only thing they were concerned with was God's things. Tend and cultivate the earth. Name the animals. Take care of each other. Be fruitful and multiply. These are all assignments and tasks that were given to man to take care of God's things, not himself. Adam and Eve weren't running around trying to figure out what to wear. Where am I going to get some clothes? Because they didn't have to worry about that. They weren't worried about what to eat because God gave them every garden or every tree in the garden except for one to eat from. weren't weren't worried about where to live because God put them in the garden. They didn't choose it. They wouldn't have to figure out how to pay the mortgage or the rent. Okay? Very simple. So this is God's covenant with man. If you obey me, do what I'm asking you to do and allow my purpose and my will to be done through you, then you'll have everything you need. What's he doing? He's providing for you to do his purpose. The job that you have was given to you, not so you could provide for your family, but so that you could be an influence for the kingdom of God. And what does he do? He gives you a paycheck so that you're taken care of, and you can take care of your family. And you don't have to worry about that. Why? Because I'm here making influence. And if you lose that job, guess what? God will line you up another one. That's how God works. If you go into it seeking a motive of influencing people around you for the kingdom of God, He will get you the job. Do you not think that he doesn't want you in a place where you can be an influence for his kingdom? If the motive is to make more money or to get a bigger paycheck or to bring in or to save up so you can buy a new house or a new car, no. But if your purpose is for the kingdom of God, he will make sure that you're taken care of. Okay? This is how his influence and his kingdom is brought to this earth. It's through us. So in Genesis chapter 8, we see that the covenant requires a sacrifice. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I, as I have done. And then we know that he sent what? A rainbow. As a sign of what? His covenant. His promise. That, what's he doing? He's establishing covenant. And Noah gives of a burnt offering. Kills some animals. Why? Because of the bloodshed. Look at uh, Abraham. Does the same thing. <clears throat> Uh, Abraham chapter, it's 15, isn't it? With Abraham, he does the same thing. Genesis chapter 15 uh, and verse 7. Genesis 15 and verse 7, he says, Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, ram, turtle dove, pigeon. And he brought all those to him, cut them in two down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what's he doing? He's again making a sacrifice to establish covenant. God required the blood. To establish the sacrifice, the problem God required blood to establish the covenant. The problem with these sacrifices, the problem with doing this every year, because they eventually got to a point where they had to do this every year. We saw that on Wednesday. That he was, uh, that blood had to be shed in the temple, right, in the tent. That uh, with Moses, he established this. And every year they had to do this. The problem with it, it was temporary. God needed a permanent solution. So who did he send for sacrifice? He sent his son. And his son died. The blood was shed. Why? Because this is an everlasting covenant. So he needs an everlasting sacrifice. Let's look in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 21, Hebrews 9, verse 21 says, Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So this was how it was done in the Old Testament. They had to shed all this blood. Why? Because that is how man's sins were forgiven. One person had to go in. Not every person. Not every person could go in. There was one person designated as holy enough to do this. It was the high priest. And he had to go in for all the people. He had to be clear of sin. He had to be uh, free of any unholiness and any unrighteousness to go in for the people, shed the blood, make the sacrifice, and then the people's sins were forgiven for another year. And they had to do this every year. But look what Hebrews says as we go on. 9 verse 11. But Christ came as that high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, forever, having obtained eternal redemption. We have been eternally redeemed the sacrifice that God sent has redeemed us for eternity that is the sacrifice why was this sacrifice necessary why was his bloodshed necessary so the covenant with God could be established with man it's the whole reason we're talking about this word confess we're talking about this covenant this contract okay for this contract to be sealed it had to be done with blood And Jesus was sent as that ultimate sacrifice. So here is what God is looking for. The word said in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, confess Jesus as Lord. Confess him as Lord. That means to enter a binding agreement, a contract. That what? That he is Lord. We saw last week that Lord means that he owns you. He owns you and he owns your resources which means he calls the shots. We have resources at our disposal that need to be used for kingdom purpose. We have time, we have finances, we have vehicles, we have possessions, we have personal abilities that need to be used for the kingdom. I mean, there are people out in the world using all kinds of resources for their own gain. They're using their own talents, Musical talents, sports abilities, knowledge, health knowledge, uh, business knowledge, their finances. Their People are seeking their own gain with these things. And God is looking for a people that will take the resources that he's given them and use those resources for his kingdom. That's how you double the resource. That's how you double... What he gives you. Remember we saw that the Lord gave talents to his servants. He gave one five, one two, and one one. And the five and the two, they doubled theirs. Why? Because they went out and were purposeful with what God gave them. But the one, what did he do? He kept it for his own good. You know what he said? I'm going to do with it what I want to do. Because before that Lord left, before Jesus left, he said, do business till I come what he said. What's he meaning? He's saying, be purposeful with what I've given you until I come back. And he's coming back. And he's going to look for what people have done with the talents he's given them. The resources that we have, God has given them to us. And he's given them to us for a different purpose. I know people that have helped out this ministry uh, substantially. With their own resources and things that they have at their own disposal, I mean, we've used trailers, uh, we've used trucks when we've had to move stuff. I mean, that's kingdom work, your time and people that have given up their time to come and help us do uh, the work that we're doing here, talents—those that have uh, musical talents and those that are great with working with kids. I mean, these are resources that God has given to us that He's expecting us to use for the kingdom. And there's some people that have some great talents. And it looks like they've doubled and tripled their wages. It looks like they've doubled and tripled what was given to them. When I mean, you look at some of these financial business people out in the world and the businesses and the corporations they own, but man, if they're not funding the kingdom with that, it all goes to nothing. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the world. Because profitable and uh, having provision in the world is nothing compared to what God could do. Okay? So that's what these resources are used for. But this is the covenant that we're entering. It's more than just saying something. It's more than just a prayer. We've reduced it to a prayer of, Lord, I believe you die on the cross, come into my life, become the Lord of my life. Lord is what Jesus is, is who he is. Savior is what he did. He saved us, but now we are required to give him our lives. And we're entering a covenant. When you confess that Jesus is your Lord, you're entering a binding legal declaration in agreement with God saying this is my covenant to you that with me you can do what you want. And knowing you will, be, will provide for me. And when I use the resources you give me, when I give you my life and everything I own, everything I desire, everything I want to do, my will, my thoughts, My words, when I give all that to you, I know that I'll be taken care of. Why? Because you entered a covenant. And the covenant, the blood that was necessary, the sacrifice that was necessary has been shed, and we can enter that covenant because Jesus' blood is an eternal redemption. So that's what we're looking at today. That's what we're doing. This lordship thing is more than just saying a prayer and then going on and living our lives and hope we get to heaven one day. And this confession thing is more than just saying it. There's got to be a tie to it. There's got to be an obedience and a righteousness on our part. Obeying God at his word. Believing him at his word. Knowing that he will provide and make everything available to us. There will be nothing you lack. That's what provision is. I mean, being having provision is not having just overwhelming finances and overwhelming wealth and Provision is simply this 24 hours is taken care of. That's provision. That's what he said in uh, Matthew six thirty-four. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own worries. Tomorrow has its own problems. Know today that if you seek first my kingdom, if you're righteous in my kingdom, all these things will be added to you today. He's obligated to 24 hours. Well, I got that bill tomorrow. He's obligated to today. Tomorrow, he'll take care of tomorrow. Amen. And that's a restful place. That's a place you can relax. That's a place of peace. There's no anxiousness there. There's no worry. Because you know I'm in a binding legal agreement with my king. And I have given my life to him. I'm using my time and my resources for the kingdom. Everything I own, my wills and my desires line up with his will. And in return, I get all the things he's promised me. Amen? He's promised us. One last verse, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. What's he saying? He's saying there's a new covenant. There's a new contract I've put out. doesn't require you to go and kill a ton of animals and shed all this blood every year. doesn't require you to go through one high priest, one man. You can do it. Go boldly. Verse 22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here it is. For he who promised is faithful. Do you believe he's faithful to come to bring that promise to fruition? To bring that promise in your life. He has promised you a thing. See, with a lot of people today, promise, that's not a word that, it's not... It doesn't mean much. There's not much to it. I promise I'll get it done. It's just words. But when God promises, we have entered a binding legal declaration, a contract that states, you do my will on the earth, you pursue my purpose, and everything you need, I've got it. I've got it taken care of. Seek first my kingdom. That's That's our job. Be righteous in that kingdom. That's our job. And all these things will be added. Jesus said it himself. He said it himself. Amen. This was God's purpose in the garden with Adam and Eve. What did he say? Tend my garden. Cultivate my garden. Be fruitful. Multiply it. And they were taken care of. Didn't need a thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this word this morning.